You're listening to Comedy Central. Do you guys celebrate the NFL? <laughs> yeah? Somebody? Nobody? I, so here's the thing. I don't... Obviously, I'm, I, I, I haven't watched American football my whole life. I don't really understand American football and, like, its rules because I saw that Aaron Rodgers got fined like, for his... for violating COVID protocols. It was, like, $15,000 or something. But then I also saw another player got fined, like, for not tucking in his shirt, and his fine was, like, 20-something thousand dollars. Did you see this? It was, like, 20... What is it? 26? How much is... Either way, 15 and $20,000. The one guy violated COVID. The other guy didn't tuck in his shirt. (laughs) Like, I thought that CTE was just an issue with the players, but now I feel like... Even in leadership, there's some guys who are just like, ah, my head, yeah, 20,000 for that guy. I mean, what's that? I just got fined by the NFL. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America, it's The Daily Show. Here's the thing. Tonight, Santa Claus isn't coming to town. Officers who aren't gentlemen. And Will Smith. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I am Trevor Noah. Let's jump straight into today's headlines. We kick things off with YouTube, the place to go if you want to be radicalized but are too lazy to read. They're about to make a big change to the site, and if you don't like it, there's no way to tell them. YouTube is going to start hiding the dislike count below videos. That means when you hit the thumbs down button below a video, the person who made that video will still be able to see that, but the total number of dislikes won't be displayed to the public. YouTube says this is all in an effort to promote a more respectful relationship between creators and viewers. Apparently groups of viewers are targeting a video's dislike button to drive up the count turning it into something like a, a, a game with a visible scoreboard. And it's usually just because they don't like the creator or what they stand for. Yeah, finally. This is a great move from YouTube. You shouldn't be able to bully people on YouTube with the dislike button. That's what the comments are for, you know? I like the comments. You can't just click a button. You gotta make an effort. You gotta open up the comment box and you gotta type something. You, go, you gotta tell the creator to stab themselves with a rusty screwdriver. Effort. And by the way, I I like that YouTube is doing this, but you know what's gonna happen here, right? I mean, getting rid of the thumbs down button isn't gonna solve anything. Trolls are too creative. What's gonna happen now is the first comment on every video is just gonna say thumbs down, and then that's gonna get 10,000 thumbs up. If you ask me, I don't even know why they ever had a dislike button on YouTube. Like, how are you gonna dislike a free video? It's free, you asshole. The only response you should be able to leave on a free thing is, thank you for this free thing. And be like, I don't like it, it's free. Tell me your opinions on free shit. Oh, speaking of the dislike button, let's move on to politics. As various high profile Republicans begin to think about running for president in 2024, one of their biggest considerations is what to do about the man who thinks he won the election in 2020, Donald J. Trump. Because that's basically what Trump is gonna be running on. You realize that, right? He was cheated the last time, So that means he deserves another four years or maybe 30 years as president. But it turns out there is one Republican who is brave or stupid enough to stand in his way. 
Political blows from Chris Christie and former President Donald Trump. It started with comments the ex-New Jersey governor made over the weekend at the Republican Jewish Coalition's conference. Christie called on Republicans to move past Trump's baseless claim that the 2020 election was stolen from him. We can no longer talk about the past and the past elections. It is over. And now former President Trump is slapping back. Chris Christie was just absolutely massacred by his statements that Republicans have to move on from the past, meaning the 2020 election fraud. Everybody remembers that Chris left New Jersey with a less than 9% approval rating, a record low. They didn't want to hear this from him. Chris Christie then responded in an interview with Axios. Look, I'm not going to get into a, a back and forth with Donald Trump, but what I will say is that this. When I ran for re-election in 2013, I got 60% of the vote. When he ran for re-election, he lost to Joe Biden. Uh, something tells me you are going to get into a back and forth with Donald Trump. I like how he's like, I'm not gonna get into a back and forth, but let me tell you my shit. This dude is taking a rock to a hornet's nest and being like, I don't wanna get in a thing here, but yeah. And look, I do get Chris Christie's point, right? He wants the party to talk about Joe Biden's current failures, not about how China used mind control to delete Trump votes in Georgia or whatever the new story is, but telling Donald Trump to stop obsessing over the 2020 results is like telling Gollum to maybe try a necklace or a bracelet or something. It's not gonna happen. Here's the thing, if Christie wants to play the smarts, this is what he's gotta do. He shouldn't tell Trump that he lost the election. He should agree with Trump that he won the election. Yeah, because then he can say, look, Donald, I would love to support you, but you've already served two terms. And then Trump's mind would be blown. He'd be like, wait, I won? Then I'm the president now. That means I'm Joe Biden, but that's a bunch of malarkey. <gasps> All right, let's move on. Because there's one story that is dominating our lives today and probably forever, coronavirus. And we've got all the latest updates in another installment of Keeping Up, with corona. For over a year now, everyone has been asking two questions about the corona pandemic. One, do masks make everyone's breath smell like shit or just mine? And two, if those thermometer guns really work, then why did we take our temperature up our butts all those years? Oh, and there's, there's actually another question that everyone has been wondering. When is the pandemic finally going to be over. Well, with COVID cases now stalling at a pretty high level, it is looking more and more likely that COVID may stay with us forever. Yeah, like that uncle who said he was just passing through town and then 20 years later still has your room. Now, luckily for America, the pandemic will probably never be as deadly as it was thanks to vaccines. So you still have COVID, but not the deaths because America has more than enough vaccines for every man, woman, and child who doesn't listen to Joe Rogan. In fact, the United States has so many vaccines that they finally decided to make it rain on the rest of the world. Now, the U.S. is aiming to send more doses of the COVID vaccine to people living in conflict zones around the world. They include the Democratic Republic of Congo, South Sudan, and Yemen. Reports say Secretary of State Antony Blinken announced a deal between Johnson & Johnson and the COVAX vaccine sharing program. Blinken says that less than 2% of the population living in conflict zones are vaccinated. America is sending the Johnson & Johnson vaccine into conflict zones? Hasn't Yemen been through enough? I mean, it's, it's bad enough that poor countries get T-shirts from the losing Super Bowl team, but now, now they have to get the third place vaccine. 
By the way, you, you know how mega people always at their rallies with the t-shirts that say Trump won? Do you ever wonder, did they get the t-shirts that were supposed to go to Africa? <laughs> Maybe they were like, no, no, keep them here. Maybe when the shipping shut down, they're like, we can't send them to Africa. And they're like, I will wear them. Well, it's fine, we'll wear them. We got this. And people in Africa were like, ah, so no one won and nobody lost. Anyway, look, I know there are a lot of reasons why it's better to send J&J to conflict zones than Moderna or Pfizer, right? It's easier to transport and you don't need to depend on people being able to come back for a second shot. But I wouldn't be surprised if there were some American officials who were like, well, we're not gonna waste the good vaccines on someone who's just gonna step on a landmine tomorrow. Am I right, fellas? And look, it is a good thing. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the last thing a conflict zone needs is corona on top of that. The only downside of this is that now you might get people who are incentivized to come to the conflict zone just to get a vaccine. I hope that doesn't happen, because next thing you know, there's gonna be people from Nigeria interviewing to join the Taliban. So tell me, why do you want to join our glorious cause? Oh, predominantly for the health benefits and uh, also death to America, of course, huh? If that helps my application, you can put that in as well. So it's good that more and more people around the world are getting vaccinated, but the problem is, it might not be enough because it turns out people aren't the only ones who are spreading the Rona. There's a study that reveals that deer are a widespread carrier of COVID-19. A study researched the North American population of white-tailed deer and researchers say as much as 80% of the 445,000 Iowa population may carry the virus. Potentially bigger problems loom down the road. Questions still remain about COVID's effect on deer populations and we don't know yet if the virus could survive the deer and then mutate and infect people then too. I knew it. I knew that one day the deer would get their revenge for what we did to Bambi's mom. And I don't know about you, but I was shocked when I heard this because I didn't think that deer could get COVID. I mean, I thought they had herd immunity. <laughs> My man. But now scientists are worried that Corona might mutate in the deer and jump back into us humans. And you might be thinking, Trevor, come on. It's not like humans are hanging out with the deer. We'll be fine. Yeah, yeah, that's what we said before that guy banged the bat. Look at us now. And we all agree it was Batman who did that, right? It's probably Batman. I mean, who else has a thing for bats? He's doing things in that cave. And I know we don't want to talk about this because he's our hero, but think about it, people. Think about it. If you want the crime-fighting Batman, you got to take the bat Batman. It's a package deal. All right, and finally. We've talked a lot about how the pandemic is causing labor shortages around the country. I mean, it's the reason why these days when you go to the drive-through, you have to spit in your own food. But now, labor shortages are even threatening the Jeff Bezos of the North Pole, Santa. And staff shortages are hitting the North Pole. Department store Santas are in short supply this season due to COVID concerns. One report found the number of available Santas is down 15%. Hire Santa helps people find and hire Santa's helpers around the world for parties, mall appearances, and more. It is a uh, dramatic shortage, and we are already uh, sold out across the country on several dates in December. Before the pandemic, Hire Santa said demand was already tight. But after losing some Santas to COVID-19, some retiring, and some concerned about COVID-19, it's led to a pinch on Santas this holiday season. Yeah, people, this is not surprising. 
Of course, Santa got COVID. He spends half his time around unvaccinated children and the other half around deer. I mean, the solution to this problem is pretty obvious. If you want more Santas, then you've got to offer them more money. Hell, if you raise the pay enough, you may even get the real Santa to sign up. I mean, that man has spent a thousand years getting paid in cookies and milk. A job at the mall, that's a huge step up. For more on this, I want to bring in our very own Ronnie Chang, who's looking into the story at a local mall. Ronnie, when you look at... Wait, why are you in a Santa suit, Ronnie? Uh, because I'm applying to be a mall Santa? There's a shortage right now. Don't you listen to your own show? Yeah, I know there's a shortage, and that's why I sent you to the mall. I just didn't think you would want to be a mall Santa. Yeah, why not? You get to sit down all day, you get a free winter jacket, you can buy Oxy from the girl at the Hot Topic. It's a great job. Ronnie, Ronnie, like, here's what I'm saying. I just don't think that you would be right as a mall Santa, you know? Why not? Well, I don't know. Like, Santa has a certain... Like, how do I put this? Like, when you think of Santa, you don't think of a guy like you. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh. Oh, what, what are you saying? I can't be Santa because I'm Asian? Because I'm a handsome Asian man? That's racist, man, in 2021. But thank you for the compliment. <clears throat> no, no, Ronnie, I'm, no, no what, I didn't say that. I said you can't be Santa, like, because you're a dick, Ronnie. All right, Santa needs to be nice to kids, and you're not nice to people of any age. What are you talking about, man? I'm fine with kids. I'll prove it. Look, look, act like you're a kid, okay? Let's, let's just role play for a sec, okay? Tell, tell me what you want for Christmas. Um, tell me what you want, come on. Okay, okay fine. Um, uh, Santa, I want a fire truck and a Nintendo Switch. <laughs> man, f you kid. I don't even have a Nintendo Switch. Ask your parents, they're the ones getting you all this shit. You see, Ronnie, this is the shit I'm talking about. Okay, 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 yeah, you know what? Uh, actually, good point. But uh, while I'm here, uh, I'm just gonna go eat free samples at the food court until they call security. So, all right, peace well, out. well, good luck with that, but don't talk to kids. And bring me some of those little Cinnabons, please. Yeah, don't complain about the stuff as well, it's free. All right, when we come back, Desi Lydic will take a look at the veterans America should never forget. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. Women's contributions in history often get overlooked. So to solve the problem, we turn to Desi Lydic for a special Veterans Day edition of not history, but of his hurry. A lot of people think America's first female soldier was Demi Moore in G.I. Jane, which is not true, although she was the first Marine to strip her way through West Point. The truth is there have been women fighting wars since the beginning of America. During the Revolutionary War, Deborah Sampson was the first known woman to enlist. And to do so, she had to pose as a man, which had its ups and downs. On the one hand, she had to put herself in grave danger. On the other hand, she didn't have to wear a corset anymore, which if you ask me, is worth risking your life for. And Sampson didn't just fight in the war, she kicked ass. She led a raid that captured 15 men. That's right, a woman took down 15 men without the help of Ronan Farrow. In the Civil War, another woman named Melinda Blaylock also posed as a man to enlist. It's weird that America doesn't know her story because she fought for the Confederacy. You'd think there'd be statues of her all over. But Blaylock was secretly a Union sympathizer, trying to desert the Confederates and escape up north. But before she could, she was shot in the shoulder and discovered as a woman by an army doctor. That's a huge sacrifice, because as soon as your doctor realizes you're a woman, all your premiums go up. 
After Blaylock was discharged for the crime of having a vagina, she escaped to Tennessee and joined up with the Union Army, helping it to win the Civil War, end slavery, and defeat racism in America once and for all. At least that's what my nephew's textbook says. He goes to school in Texas. By World War I, women didn't have to drag race their way into service. They were actually allowed to enlist. In 1918, Ofa Mae Johnson was the first woman to join the United States Marine Corps, along with 300 other women, and they came to be known as the Marinettes. Although, to their credit, Marine officials distanced themselves from that nickname, probably because Marinettes sounds less like soldiers and more like a dance troupe that does high kicks on the battlefield, which is really just giving the enemy unrealistic expectations of what their legs should look like. By World War II, women weren't just fighting on the ground, they were taking to the skies. America had a shortage of pilots, so women were trained to fly military aircrafts. These women were known as WASPs, which stood for Women Air Force Service Pilots, and not, as many believe, wet-ass service pilots. This was just another example of women getting to step up during the war to do jobs previously reserved for men. Flying planes, playing baseball, women even had to fill in for mansplainers. See, the reason they call it World War II is because it's a second one. It's a math thing, you wouldn't understand. I go hammer some shit. World War II saw another first for women when Charity Adams Early became the first African-American female army officer and led the first battalion of black women to be stationed overseas. Which means without her inspiration, we never would have had Beyonce's Super Bowl halftime show. Early was given the daunting task of delivering airplane hangars full of undelivered mail to the soldiers fighting in Europe. And she did such an amazing job that she was eventually promoted to lieutenant colonel, which back then was the highest rank a woman was allowed to have, just above HBIC and girl boss. But not every woman fighting in World War II was as visible as army officers and Air Force pilots. And in one case, that was on purpose. Virginia Hall was one of the Allies' most important spies. She recruited resistance fighters, directed them to the Allied invasion, rescued 12 fellow agents out of an internment camp, and she did it all with a peg leg. You kidding me? I take a sick day when I stub my toe. The Nazis called Hall the enemy's most dangerous spy, but she was more affectionately known as the Limping Lady of Lyon. And she gathered intelligence from everywhere, from nuns to brothel owners, basically anyone who spanks men with a ruler. Hall was truly a master of espionage, like James Bond without all the pouting and STDs. But it wasn't all sunshine and jet fuel for women veterans. The families of the women who died while serving didn't get any survivor benefits or burial expenses. And the women who made it through the war didn't even get veteran status until the late 70s, which is so messed up. Also, if you're not an official veteran, your dog doesn't get excited when you surprise him by coming home. <coughs> Barely even looks up. So this Veterans Day, we salute the women who have kept America safe. They paved the way for all the brave women fighting today, and the ones who will fight in the future, once the robot apocalypse kicks off. And they also inspired me to avoid the line for the women's bathroom. Thank you so much, Desi. When we come back, the legendary Will Smith will be joining me right here on the show. You don't want to miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is an Academy Award-nominated actor, producer, and musician. He goes by the name Will Smith, and he's here to talk about his new film, King Richard, and his highly anticipated memoir. Will Smith, <laughs> welcome to the show. Oh, good to, good to be here, man. I appreciate you. Do you enjoy watching that? Oh, my goodness. It's like Richard Williams, man. You know, he is such a unique um, and, and 
powerful man. He is he is uh, so many different things, and right. you, you love him or hate him, you know. But his his daughters and, and his family just they they revere this man, and that you know that was a thing that was so interesting to me because he's been vilified and villainized mm-hmm. publicly. Mm-hmm. But the love in his family is spectacular. There is something to playing somebody in a way that doesn't provide a caricature of them, mm-hmm. but shows you their character. Yes. And that's yes. what I really enjoyed about this film is, you know, we, we often hear about dads who are like, you know, ultra competitive. They want uh, their kids yeah. to succeed at all costs. Or whatever. But I, I, I know before I watched the movie, I didn't know the full extent of Richard Williams. I knew Venus and Serena. I was like, I know their dad, but I was like, oh, he's one of those dads. Yeah. But he wasn't he one of those really dads. He really is not. No, he was a dad who was trying to create excellence, but he did it in a unique way. He did it in a very unique way. And it was so, so different from what I expected uh, him to be. As I, you know, I have hundreds of hours of uh, film and, oh, and audio wow, on him. Wow, so wow. I was able to track him over you know, almost two decades uh-huh. of interviews and things like that. And his book and his entire family was involved with, with the process. And I asked Vina, I was, Venus, I was like, what did, what did he do? And she said it was almost like a Jedi mind trick, right? Because he never pushed them to play tennis. When they were in trouble, their punishment was that they couldn't play tennis. Right. And they would be itching and scratching and clawing, please, daddy, let us play, please, let's practice. And he had figured out a way that, you know, tennis was fourth or fifth on the list Uh of their family priorities. They were using tennis to cultivate family and to to cultivate um, you know human beings to go into the world and and serve. We've seen you play real people in films. Yeah. You know, we've watched you on these journeys. You know, you know whether it's Ali, whether it's Pursuit of Happiness. You know, mm-hmm. we we see you in, inhibit people's lives. Yeah. We see you inhibit who they are. And I wonder how much of them now sticks with you. Do you feel like you're part of the family now? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's uh, you know, Ser- Serena walked on onto the set, you know, and I was full in character. And she was like, Dad, <laughs> you know, <I> was like, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, it's it's, you know, when you when you do these types of things that are about people's lives, yes. and it it wipes away every other desire other than wanting to please the family. If you make oh, a movie about okay. somebody's life and they don't like it, it is horrific. Has that ever happened to you? Uh, no, it hasn't. Well, you, you know, I mean, <laughs> oh, you say theoretically. You're saying, like, you know, theoretically, theoretically for these other actors, hypothetically, if you mess it up, yeah. if you mess it up, it's bad for you. I'm Will Smith. I mean. <laughs> no, but I felt like, uh, you know, I felt like that every time I, right, I right. go you into You feel the this, weight. You feel the weight of mm-hmm. it. It's like somebody's life and you're going to, you know, commit it to screen. And uh, Venus and Serena, they agreed to be executive producers and they were with the project all the way through, but they were withholding whether or not they were going to put their name on the film until after they saw wow. it. Wow. You know, that's pressure. Yeah, that was a lot of pressure. Yeah, that's you know? pressure. I feel like this story was amplified by your experience with your father. And I say that oh, for sure. having read your book now. Yeah, you yeah. get what I'm saying? Congratulations, by the thank way. You, thank you. Congratulations. Thank um, you. Many people 
can live a, a, a really fantastic life. Many people can write a great book. There are a few people who I think can translate a fantastic life into a fantastic book. I think that's what you've done oh, here. Oh, thank you, man. For real. I love because that. it's 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 raw, it's it's confusing to many because you say it in the book. Mm-hmm. Will Smith consists of two people. Yeah. The Will Smith that we all know and love, mm-hmm. and then the Will Smith that that character was created to protect. Protect, absolutely. Right. And yet, what I find is people are reading ex- excerpts from the book and they're like, Will Smith wanted to kill his father? Will, Will Smith, when Will Smith and Jada wanted to break up? Will Smith, he, he felt his kids were disappointed in him? And I'm like, are you reading the book? Are you, so let, let's, let's start at the beginning. You know what it's like to be raised by a father who is not perfect, mm-hmm. but also pushes you towards perfection. When you, were, when you were portraying Richard Williams, mm-hmm. were there aspects of you that were maybe even understanding your dad more? Yeah. Was there compassion that was building that goes with that, that disappointment that you sometimes felt in him? You know, I was working on the memoir while I was doing King Richard. Oh, and I know that, okay. The, you know, so the picture of myself and my father and Richard Williams was all blending into you know, a process of growth and evolution and mm-hmm, revelation. Mm-hmm. Um, and a big part of being able to understand Richard Williams was in my understanding of my father, you know, that you know, post-World War II generation black man, yes. you know, that knows how to do everything with their hands. You know, they got the toolbox and they can fix the fix You're the building that wall. Yeah, right. You're building exactly. that wall. You know, that was the thing with, with, with my father. He wanted us to be able to do things with, with our hands. Yes. Richard Williams was very uh, similar in that way. Um, and then the process for me of questioning my own parenting and developing and growing with my own parenting. Huh. What, what I learned and grew into, which was a, a transformation for me with Richard Williams, is Richard Williams was aligned with what his daughters wanted to do. He was following them where they wanted to go and he was pushing them where they already wanted to go. And that was a very subtle but very critical difference that I was able to you know, make that adjustment in, in my parenting. The book, Will, mm-hmm. I would say is one of the most anticipated and yet unexpected memoirs that, mm-hmm. has, that has ever come out. Because mm-hmm. for so long, you've been an enigma, yeah. you know? Hey, man, you can't say that on TV. <laughs> you crazy? <laughs> you you, you been... an enigma, too. <laughs> <laughs> but, but for real, you've been, you've been the guy who's like... like it's, it's Will Smith, but it's like, mm. he, we see you in the black suit, we see yeah. flashing yeah. eyes, you know, we see you running down that, yeah. running down that bridge with a shirt open, you, you in running. In slow-mo, in slow-mo, I mean, too, with the, the shirt with the and the thing, that, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, we, we, we know that Will Smith, yeah. and then we see you at the premiere, and it's you and Jada, you yeah, know, and it's, yeah. like, it's the kids and it's everything. It feels like there's been a, like a literally a, you know, AD and BC period in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's, there's before Will reveals himself mm-hmm. and there's everything we're living in now. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the book feels like that. You know, it, it feels like you've gone, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take you behind the scenes. I'll take you behind the scenes, Which right. we've done Absolutely. in movies, yes. we've never done with your life. Yeah. A big part of my motivation was I felt like I have um, experienced enough and reflected enough and, you know, suffered enough that my advice could be valuable. Okay, okay. Right, you know, so the the things that I now understand were, you know, cultivated 
in, in the battlefield. Right. You know. Right. Survival. Some, yeah, survival. Yeah. We're not, you know, when, it, when, when I'm talking about something, I'm not talking about theory. I'm talking about tested right. um, experience. So I, I feel like. And, and and not that who I was wasn't true. It's what you know that it, that is true. It's just not the whole story. Yeah. And so for me, I just wanted to take the filter off for, I guess, two reasons. Uh, one, I thought it was, it's more helpful. Right. You know, for somebody who wants to uh, build their life, for somebody who wants to follow um, and do some of the things that that I've done, it's more helpful if I tell you the truth. Right. I like that. OK. You know, and then the other part of it is. I, I get to be more free. It's like a, a whole weight is lifted that I don't have to be perfect, that I'm allowed to be imperfect. I'm allowed to put on 30 pounds during the pandemic. <laughs> you know, I'm allowed to do all of that. Um, and, you know, there there's a certain. Um, emotional invincibility mm -hmm. that is being cultivated that I, I just love. I love not being swayed by people's opinions. When you talk in the book, I, I love that you've been careful to tell your stories. I know this from writing my book. Yes. I made sure I was like, I talked to my mom. I was like, hey, are you cool are with you? me writing yes, this? And absolutely. I was like, these are my stories or the stories that you can find in the press. I'm not, I'm not telling anybody else's absolutely. story in that way. Which is really you, hard. Yeah, you, you've been really good with that, yes. respecting Jada in this. Yes, absolutely. And, and Jada's got red table talk, and then you've got, do you guys ever like fight about it that way? Do you ever go like, hey, you can't say that there, or you, how can you say that there? Or do you ever feel like you have to negotiate where the boundary exists? So what I did was a, uh, a two-week book camp right before I finished the book. So I had written it, and I called everybody I talk about in the book and brought them down to Miami. And for two weeks, I read everybody, every word that I said about them. And it was a, an extremely powerful uh, therapy session going through this stuff. Wow. My mother and I had never talked about my, my father's abuse. Wow. And it was the first time. You guys had never talked. We had never talked about it. We had never, n not one time and I'm, I'm so, 50, I was 52 at the this time. This is wild, Will. And I read her the chapter, and that was the first time that we ever, we ever discussed it. And she said, go ahead. And she, yeah, she was, you know, first of all, she was shocked. She couldn't believe that my young mind had processed it oh, in, wow. in, in that way. But it was so cathartic and reading everything. And, you know, I, I, I got through a couple of chapters with, with Jada, and, you know, she... She said, I want you to tell your story. I don't want to dilute what your experience mm -hmm. was. She said, I would, you know, of course, I was having a completely different right, right, right. experience. But she said, I want you to be free to, to tell your story. This relates to like everything that the media consumes. There's, yep. there's an element of like, um, it's almost like a piranha fish syndrome that yep. happens online. You know, mm -hmm. once there's blood in the water, they wanna, they wanna keep <laughs> yeah. nibbling at a thing until they know it to exactly. the bone. Sometimes it'll feel like people are trying to make it like, oh, Jada's coming for Will. You see what she said about right. Will? They take her words out of context. Yeah, 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 they write yeah, headlines yeah. that don't match what the people are saying. Absolutely. I get angry because I watch and then I'm like, that's not what you say, you, 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 you know what I mean? As, as a couple, you have to protect yourselves because you are a couple. Any, any family unit does. Right. But 
But is there a part of you that goes like, you know what, we're gonna shut this down, we're not gonna say anything, mm -hmm. or, or have you taken a different approach? Do you go like, no, this is what we're doing and how we're gonna do it? So there, there's, there's nothing to really protect ourselves from, mm. right? It's like... The malice, the, 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 the malice. none of that you don't... So that, that only speaks to other people's level of consciousness and a lack of loving kindness on their part that doesn't say anything okay. about us, right? So our job as a couple mm -hmm. and our job as individuals is to purify our hearts as much as we possibly can to never do that to other human beings, I to not you. add to the chaos and to not add to the darkness and to figure out as much as possible to only add, uh, love and hopefully understanding to the pot. I embrace it as a part of my job in this world to provide whatever medicine, whatever elixir uh, I possibly can, and not even thinking about that person as somehow beneath me. No, I could, you'll see in these pages, I got just, some purifying to do myself. All right, before I let you go, yeah. this is a book. Yes, that's a, a book. book. A book means a movie's coming. Ooh. I mean, that's how it works. That's how it works. You make a good book, Since people want to make a movie. Since when? Hold on, you're making up things now. That's how it always, it's always worked. That means somebody <laughs> has to play Will in the movie. Yes. Who's playing Will? If you're willing to get a fade, it's you. Don't tempt me, Will Smith. If you're willing to cut it into a Yo, fade, your Will, hair is pretty right now. I've already got some of the ears. <laughs> you can't see it behind the fro. <laughs> this man's playing with my emotions here. Man. This man's playing. Thank you so I much for joining me. Appreciate you, man. As Good always. To see you again. Thank you. Always, right. man. King Richard will be in theaters and HBO Max November 19th. And this memoir, Will, is available right now. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, Consider supporting Canines for Warriors. This is a really great organization that is focused on providing highly trained service dogs to veterans who are suffering from service-connected traumas. Now, with the majority of the dogs coming from high-kill rescue shelters, this innovative program allows both veteran and dog to heal together. So if you want to support them in this work, then please donate at the link below. Until next time, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, if you see a deer with a red nose, that's not Rudolph. That motherfucker got COVID. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central. And stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.